and welcome all to En Profundidad from Barcelona Metropolitan. I'm Harry Stott. Two years ago, in October 2017, the political leaders of Catalonia unilaterally declared the region as an independent autonomous country, following a referendum deemed illegal by the Spanish state. Catalonia, however, remains part of the Spanish Union, and so the conflict has continued to simmer away. Following months of trials this year, which saw the instigators of that illegal referendum given what many see as overly harsh sentences, the past couple of weeks has seen Catalans take to the streets in frustration and fury. On today's En Profundidad podcast, what happened after the trial? I'm here now with Stephen Burgeon. Stephen, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Stephen Burgeon is a British writer, journalist and translator based in Barcelona, who has been covering the independence crisis for The Guardian and Observer newspapers in the UK for the past nine years. I spoke to him to gain some further insight on the trial and the protests that have followed. Why was the trial taking place in the first place? Um, well, the trial was taking place in the first place because uh, the, the government considered that the referendum and the declaration of unilateral declaration of independence in 2017 uh, was illegal, uh, which under various aspects of the constitution it probably was. Um, however, they decided to uh, charge people with uh, extremely serious offences of rebellion and sedition and misuse of public funds. Rebellion is, is really just one step short of treason and carries a maximum sentence of 25 years, whereas sedition, uh, sedition, if you were thinking in, you know, in English law, for example, is also um, like rebellion. It's almost like treason and is a very serious offence. Here, it really means an offence to public order. So on the lowest level, it would mean it would be the charge of obstructing the police in the course of their duty. On a higher level, it's basically preventing the state from, from functioning. And that's effectively what they've charged them with. It's slightly ironic in this country to charge anyone with misuse of public funds because um, it's getting better now, but politically, you know, it's, it's a kleptocracy. It's, uh, it's extremely corrupt and people seem to go into politics precisely to misuse public funds. Um, so in you know in this case, I think in this case the you know the argument was that they had used public money in order to finance uh, the the campaign for the illegal referendum, and again I I think that uh, most people, regardless of their political sentiments, think that this is completely excessive of, of sentencing people from nine to thirteen years. Uh, for basically constitutional offences. Uh, I mean, they weren't, you know, it, it just was very disproportionate and the response and the violence and so on is uh, entirely expected. Given it's the leaders of the movement who received these sentences, is it them inciting others to, to do these things to obstruct the work of the police or it is directly things that they did? I think it was a combination of, a both, of a both. I think that... The, the trial, as trials often are in this country, seemed rather curious in that, that actually extremely little evidence, concrete evidence, was presented 
to back up any of any of these offences, including the the offence of misuse of public funds, which I would have thought was quite easy to to demonstrate. If you if you come from a country where you have trial by jury, trials here always seem slightly bizarre, um, and it's very difficult to understand the process. And so the, the way that evidence is presented is um, seems un to me, unusual, and in this case, extremely weak. I thought that there was no... They failed to produce any solid evidence that they had either physically obstructed the police or any other member of, of the state from carrying out their duty, or that they'd actively incited other people to do so, apart from organizing the referendum. And it is questionable whether the referendum is te was technically illegal. All along, this trial has been, has been treated... Um, legally as a package deal that it's it's a, co a collective um, a collective crime if you like that if one person is guilty then they're all guilty because they acted in concert so the 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 case against Puigdemont will be now that the courts have established that these people are guilty then he is to therefore please extradite him and what has the general response been from the Catalan leaders um, well, that, that you know, the, the in increasing talk about the fact that that Spain is an authoritarian state, that it's not a, dem a democracy, and so on, none of which is true. Spain, like most states, has its faults, and one of its great faults, in my opinion, is a lack of separation of powers between the judiciary and the executive. Um, I think one of the 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 problems uh, in the perception of all this is that. The Catalan leaders refused to acknowledge that they did do anything wrong, that uh, it's true, I think, well, I certainly think that the punishment is excessive, but uh, to say that we did absolutely nothing wrong is also, doesn't, doesn't really help their case. Basically, if you look at statistics, it's something like 65% of Catalans think the sentencing is excessive, and 65% of people outside of Catalonia don't. Um, and that kind of sums it up a bit. I think, the, I think the lack of any sort of mea culpa on the part of the Catalans um, has you know, meant that there's less sympathy for them than there might have been uh, in the rest of Spain or the peninsula or whatever we're supposed to call it. Defining Spain, that vast, ancient, jumbled collection of houses, peoples and languages goes to the root of the entire Catalan problem. For some Catalans, the point of becoming independent from Spain is to assert their own distinct identity, especially against Spain as a whole, where the history of Frankism is such a recent memory, one that has only just been formally exhumed. One of our writers, Isha Muhajan, spoke to Anthony Rajavish, a professor of social sciences and humanities at Universitat Autonomo de Barcelona, to learn some more about how the question of Catalan identity has shaped the entire independence debate. We have two ways, in my opinion, to read it. One is from the, let's say, the political elites, that we have two political elites fighting for power. One is in Barcelona and the other is in Madrid. Madrid has always been the the more bureaucratic, the capital type of elite. Barcelona has always been an economic elite connected since 1978 with the local political elite. And this Catalan family has always thought 
that Catalonia should be managed by them and from their own needs. So they always clash with Madrid just for power and for influence. And the other is how people see it. People, yes, of course, they acknowledge that there's a, an elite in Barcelona that also is fighting for their own political interest and economic interest. But people feel, those who are nationalists, those who are not nationalists, they don't care. Or they care, but they don't see it as a problem. They think nationalists that Madrid, the elite of Madrid, is not just an elite, it's an elite that goes against the Catalans. So when a decision is made in Madrid, most of the times it's made against the Catalan interests. Not just the Catalan identity, but if Barcelona wants to export more, Madrid is always against it. If, that, if communication doesn't take place between Madrid and Barcelona or Catalan, it's just giving rise to nationalism. That's the root cause of the rise to nationalism because yeah. there's no communication between the central government and the state government. <coughs> when Madrid and Barcelona spoke more in the 80s and 90s, nationalism was there, but was not independentist. It was just a question of, we are Catalans, we want to be respected as Catalans, we want to speak in Catalan, but nobody wanted to leave Spain. Like, it was only 15 to 20% of people who wanted to leave Spain. The problem now is that Catalan nationalism is not moderate anymore. That the only party in Spain that could speak to the Catalans is the Socialist Party. But they cannot make many concessions. Because if the Socialist Party talks to the nationalists in Catalonia and gives them certain new rights, the Spanish conservatives will monopolize that and say, you see, the socialists are selling the country just for the power. So right now, everybody's hostage to the political situation. We have the socialists who maybe in private they are willing to talk, but they cannot because then the conservatives will attack them. And the Catalan nationalists right now, Catalan politicians right now, I'm sure that in private they want to go back to normal and say, let's talk to Madrid. But they cannot do it either because if they now say, stop mobilizing, relax, we will go to Madrid to talk, they will be seen as traitors too. So another party will emerge, more independence. So right now the problem is that nobody can move. Anybody who moves lost. It's like that game, uh, the chicken, like everybody's <laughs> driving fast. That's why I'm pessimistic. That's why I think the Catalonia will end up being some sort of, maybe not independent, but some sort of Puerto Rico, uh -huh. like a free associated state or a heavily decentralized territory because Madrid cannot talk and Barcelona cannot talk. So the only situation in there is yelling at each other. And that only fuels the radical positions. Hashtag pessimism. But there's a, there's a problem called identity, that it's not a scientific topic, because identity is unscientific. If you think about it, you can tell me, I am Indian, or I am from that region, or I am from the States, or I feel that I am a Russian, or, but I cannot prove it because it's absurd. So the problem of identity is this, that since, since from the academy we don't know how to approach it, we ignore it. Or we say it's a, it's a matter of passions, no? And we discredit it, like be rational, be, be, be logical, don't speak about your uh, preferences about language and all that. Well, I always say that the academy needs to understand that for many people their identity is important, even if identity is stupid, academically. So identity to me is polyedrical, is very complex, cannot be just summarized to the national identity. For some people, the identity that is important is religious, for others is gender, for others is 
And that's a matter of choice. In Catalonia, though, many people identify themselves with the Catalan flag. So they see the Catalan flag and they hear the Catalan anthem and they stand up. <laughs> they see the Spanish flag and they listen to the Spanish anthem and they do not stand up. So whether we want to deny that as unscientific or passionate, it matters. Because in the end, people vote out of emotional preferences. So, Stephen, the trial has been something of a lightning rod for the protest that we've seen, but when did the protest start exactly? Uh, the protest started I mean, almost immediately when the, the sentence was announced last Monday morning. I think within an hour there were people gathering in various bits of the city. So we're here today, it's a couple of hours after they've just released the Supreme Court ruling, which charged between nine and 12 members of the, the Catalan leaders of the independence movement with sedition was the main thing. The ruling on Oriol Junqueras, who's the leader of the independence movement, was 13 years. We're here today to speak to some of the, the huge crowds and to, yeah, get a feeling of the protest in what is probably the culmination of months and months of trials in Madrid. We're standing here now outside the Omnium Center in the center of Barcelona. And I believe some of the Catalan leaders are just coming out and they're going to take the stage. The big crowd forming. Because uh, today we heard uh, the final um, pronounce of the tribunal, so we are against uh, our uh, so we are against the limitation of our rights. Because if they want to uh, save our constitution, it's not to um, to don't let us to express as we wish and to express. Uh, our freedoms and our liberties. If we uh, want to save the constitution, we want freedom and guarantees, not uh, prison, not uh, not fake justice. 
And are you here with um, with a student organization or with you just here for yourself? No, uh, for myself because uh, I read that uh, the the tribunal had a final decision, so I decided to go out home and to came to the center to, to say that I'm not, uh, I, I not agree with this decision. You think it's mainly then to do with the way that Madrid and the state have, have treated Catalonia, that is the, that is the issue? Yes, the thing is that they don't understand that we just want to decide what do we want and to express us as we want. So if freedom is, uh, is uh, constitutionally uh, guarantees, uh, recognized, uh, we want it can be real and not only in a paper and say, if a constitution is safe, we want our guarantees and our freedoms in constitution recognized are safe and not only uh, to understand the Spain as an state as they want to impose us. Mm -hmm. And do you think, I mean, if Castellino, if there were to be a, a, a legal referendum and you voted to leave for independence, sorry, do you think it would actually be quite difficult in terms of logistically to, to set up a real state? Well, to create a new state is not always easy. Well, it's never easy. But some states has become new at the end of the uh, 20th century, as Slovenia or Croatia. And more had um, problem. Well, some had more problems than other ones. For example, Slovenia was um, an easy independence. But finally, now they are uh, independent states recognized, but a lot of countries and members of European Union and other international organizations. So maybe the beginning is not easy, but uh, finally it's possible. So it's a hard, uh, yes, it's a hard issue, but I think it's affordable. Yeah. And in terms of your sort of identity then, you would say, do you feel at all Spanish or is it you just feel Catholic? No, I just feel Catalan, not Spanish, but I don't have any problem that my country can be in another state. It's not the nation I feel. But uh, when this country, this political country, does not, I feel it does not uh, represent me and do not respect my national identity, is where I want to break with it. I don't have problem to be in Spain. Maybe we could be friends because of Napoleon invasion in 19th century. We could be Italia, as Italia was part of Spain centuries ago. But the problem is when the state I have my passport do not respect my national identity as citizen. Okay. Thank, you for Thank you very much. Uh, Arnau. Arnau. Thank you. I'm standing on Gran Via and there's two independence marches seem to be meeting on the axis with Pau Claris. What's your name? My name is Jose Antonio Reyes. And why are you down here today? Why are you joining the protests here in Pasa Catalunya? Because I think that the sentence of the Spanish uh, judges 
is uh, against democracy. They are judging them because of their political ideology. And I think that is unfair. So I'm here to defend democracy in my country. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the protests, is this one of the, the biggest you've, you've seen in the past couple of, couple of years since the referendum? Yeah, I think so. The Catalan people uh, move a lot in all the kind of political things or even in climate change. Mm -hmm. uh, a few weeks ago, we have this... Uh, like, the climate strike, yeah. The climate strike, and you could see Pasista Gracia full of people mm -hmm. just to protest. The Catalan people is really active in political things. Yeah, yeah. And you would say, I mean, I just asked another guy the, the same question, but would you say you feel Catalan, you don't feel Spanish? Well, I'm, I come from Ecuador, okay. and I feel Catalan because this country has received me, and all the people I love uh, live in this country. So I am doing that for the people I love, and for the country that give me a lot, that give me a lot. And do you think then amongst other, because there are lots of diasporic communities, especially the Latinos here in Barcelona, do you think a lot of those communities are also pro-independence, pro-Catalonia? Well, uh, I don't think so. But it's true that maybe the first generations are not pro-independence, but uh, second generations like me or third generations uh, get more into politics. Mm -hmm. So they realize that maybe they are not pro-independence, but they are pro-referendum, because that's an important thing. A lot of, most of the Catalan population is pro-referendum. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, here you can find people that feel Spanish and Catalan, or only Spanish or only mm -hmm. Catalan, but we all share this uh, common goal mm -hmm. to have uh, democracy through a referendum. Yeah. And if there was a referendum and say, when I'm British, something similar, like what happened with Brexit and it only, the vote was only sort of 52% in favor or only just 52% against, then what do you think would happen to the movement from then? Well, if the independent movement lose, mm -hmm. then I think that uh, we should respect the, the results and that's all. Maybe uh, we should uh, like start again a campaign for independence but at the beginning, just to respect that and wait some years to make another if the people demand it. But what if then the pro-independence won by 52% and you had a similar situation to like what's happened in the UK where 48% of people don't want it? Well, it's tricky. It's difficult. Yeah, it's a tricky, it's a tricky question. But I, I think that um, only a majority of 60% or above that uh, percentage will be acceptable for uh, make an independent country. Like low, ma uh, low majority, like 51, 52 percent is not enough, I think. I think Brexit shows that, yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for speaking with me. Okay, Cheers. thank you. Thanks. Right, we're still standing here in Plaza Catalunya. Everyone seems to be waiting around for something. It's not very clear what. What, is uh, about? what do you think about the verdict that came out today? About this? About the, well, the I know, you, you know what's happening here? Okay, well, you know, it's, it's the, one of the saddest days in Spanish democracy because today uh, the Supreme Court uh -huh. has uh, said, has told that uh, a peaceful demonstration uh, can be punished with uh, 30 years in prison. So it's something incredible, especially with people like me, uh, with uh, almost 60 years. It's something that w we were sure we wouldn't see that 
and it's incredible. And all the people now has uh, come from from the job, from the school, the universities, uh, and we are gathering here, and we are just expecting. Uh, there are like in Hong Kong, there are groups with encrypted information, and we're expecting here because we want to make some actions. From now on, we change from another from another level because uh, there's people there, our political uh, representatives, uh, in prison, and uh -huh. that's why, yeah. So, Do you sorry? consider this a failure of democracy? Yeah, of course, because uh, uh, in Catalonia, uh, ten years ago, there was a completely legal uh, law uh, called a statute. This is the law that rules in Catalonia. But from Spain, they, after being uh, supported by a referendum, legal referendum, all Catalan people said, well, we are okay with that law. Then the Supreme Court and the Constitutional, they uh, destroyed the law. Uh -huh. So uh, we are 10 years with no law and they are trying to make a recentralization. Uh -huh. I think it's something that happens also in India, for instance, uh -huh. and in other places. And the people began to have a reaction. Uh, from that came the illegal referendum, uh -huh. but illegal, but not punished by law in, in Spain. There's no, uh, uh, there's no problem, there's no, uh, nothing wrong with doing a referendum. New, new information. Everyone to the airport. Everyone to the airport. Uh, okay. The call for everyone to the airport, Totom al Aeroport in Catalan, came as something of a shock. Out of nowhere, there were banners unfurled and a swift exodus of people from Plaza Catalunya as thousands shut down streets and highways as they marched towards Barcelona El Prat Airport. Stephen told me about how this was all organized. So there, was, there were people um, had gathered for a demonstration in Plaza Catalunya and they were basically waiting for instructions. And at lunchtime, this uh, website called Tsunami Democratic uh, summoned everyone uh, to go to the airport. And a very large number of people, tens of thousands certainly, went to the airport, many of them on foot. It was quite an extraordinary spectacle, actually. Um, basically, to occupy the airport and, and, and stop it functioning as a, as a form of protest. Uh, they were met by a large amount of police. Uh, things were quiet for quite a while. And then, as the police started to move them off, uh, or attempted to, inevitably things escalated. Uh, rubber bullets were fired, foam bullets were fired, uh, there were baton charges, and this sort of set the tone for the rest of the week. Can you explain a little bit more about who or what Tsunami Democratic are? Well, uh, it's not very clear, and of course they don't want it to be clear because the idea is, is you know, it's an entirely anonymous source that you simply you simply hook up to it, and you and you get alerts telling you what to do. Um, well, they they say that they're not linked to anybody, but and it's sort of you know, and people I I ask people and they say well, we don't know who they are, but obviously they are they are real people. The app doesn't think. Um, 
but they claim that the only action they in fact organized was the airport and also some uh, 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 an action yesterday but the other the other actions they say they had nothing to do with but it's curious if you've been on any of these demonstrations um, you, what you find is like at seven o'clock there's several thousand people milling around and then suddenly at an invisible command they all go somewhere else and that tends to, that's when the violence tends to begin and Tsunami Democratic say that the, they are not giving this command but somebody is it is, it is not random, it is, is, it, it is organized. Although in the past, towards the end of, of last week, it became more random and I think there were increasingly people involved for non-political reasons. Yes, we'll get onto that shortly. I mean, but as you say, yeah, there certainly was a command. I was there on Monday of last week in Plaza Catalunya when people suddenly brandished these, uh, these placards saying everyone to the airport. Well, that was Tsunami Democratic, and they say that was. But uh, the next night, uh, I was on a demonstration in, uh, in Marina with Gran Via, and everyone was milling around, and then suddenly everyone went to Tetuan, uh, and there was no public announcement, uh, so but everybody knew. And Tsunami Democratic, then, do you think this is sort of a new blueprint for protests here in Catalonia? Well, I think it could be. I mean, could, because um, if it's if it really is is impossible for the security forces to find out who's behind it, um, and it does seem to have a sort of a a, le a level of, of secrecy, encryption, or whatever, then then clearly, you know, as the states has shown that it's quite prepared to jail people for inciting uh, anything to do with independence. Um, then it would seem to be the way forward. And certainly, as you said, I mean, Hong Kong, people are using technology in a very, very smart way to, to organize against what is, uh, you know, a considerably more formidable source of, of force. I mean, whatever people say about Spain, it's not China. The interviews that we've heard so far are from Monday, October 14th, during the day. But on Friday the 18th of October, I went down to the protest again to make some more recordings and was met with a very different scene. At 6 or 7pm, Diagonal, Exemple and Plaza Catalunya felt more like a fiesta. People milling about on the streets, dancing, drinking. It felt like a celebration more than a protest. But as the sun went down, with it left those good spirits. Things felt much more tense soon became much more violent. Burkinauna became the center of what was essentially a riot. Bins on fire, smoke billowing into the air, streets being carved up for ammunition to throw at police, all punctuated by the thrash and thud of rubber bullets. You mentioned the baton charges and rubber bullets and things at the airport, but when did things start to get a bit more ugly in the centre of Barcelona? Well, it was um, the following night. There was a march um, around the Delegación de Gobierno in, in Calle Mallorca, which then spread out into 
um, Paseo de Gracia, and that's when we started. That was the first night of, of burnings. There was a, a lot of running battles with the police, and uh, it, yeah, a lot of a lot of burning of um, street furniture, if you like. Four people have lost an eye. There are two people, quite a lot of people injured, but mostly not very seriously. Two people who I believe are still seriously ill, one of whom was a police officer from the Policia Nacionales. And fortunately, I mean, we seem to have reached the point, you know, where everything has de-escalated because I really felt that people were, if it goes on like this, someone's going to get killed. And <clears throat> whether the person killed was a policeman or a protester, uh, things, were, the, things were going to take on a whole new colour from that point. What we've seen this week is that there's basically two things going on. There's, if you go to the protest that's called at, say, seven in the evening, there's people of... I wouldn't say of all ages, people have stopped taking their children, but, you know, elderly, middle-aged people and young people. And then, at a certain point, the older people leave and the younger people... Um, I would say that all the, all the stuff I've been on where there's been trouble, um, I would say 95% of people have been under 25. And the other notable thing is that people actually turn up with um, scarves or something else to cover their face, which has never never been the case and I think what we're seeing is that the initiative the people who had the initiative before who organized all these massive demonstrations the um, Asamblea Nacional Catalana and Omnium Cultural have lost the initiative they can still as they did on on Saturday organize an enormous demonstration all these people marching from all over Catalonia and they probably will again this coming Saturday but they don't seem to uh, be controlling younger people and younger people in significant numbers obviously think that, that that game's over and that direct action and confrontation with the police is the only way to get attention to their cause. And you think that cause is definitely an independentist fervor or could it be using the unrest for something else do you think? I mean, I think, I think initially, certainly most of the people, um, that's what they're, you know, they're, they're young independentistas. The chants on, on the marches are all the usual ones about, about independence or anti-Spanish chants. But I certainly, by, by Friday night um, and Saturday even more so, it was clear that there were quite a lot of people who turned up for the action. And certainly by, by Saturday night when people started looting uh, which doesn't seem to be a particularly pro-independence action. Uh, I think there was a certain amount of there's a certain amount of people piggybacking on on the the confrontations in for for their personal reasons. Something else I've seen you mention in your writing has been this idea of infiltrators in the protests. Could you explain what you mean by that? Well, this was something that was claimed by. Uh, Kim Tora, the, the Catalan president. Uh, um, this is something that always happens when uh, politicians lose control of a situation. They can't possibly believe that the people themselves are capable of organizing themselves into action, and so there must be, it must be the work of outsiders. Um, but I think you can also assume that the police will use agent provocateurs in this situation because that is a standard police tactic, so it would be naive not to think that there were any, but to suggest that this was the work of, of 
lots of uh, Italian and German and other anarchists who'd been shipped in, who were definitely present after the first few nights, no question about that. But that the, 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 they were the kind of moving force, I think, is just has no credibility. But then on the other hand, Barcelona is home to a lot of Italian anarchists. They live here. I think a big way that the protests have been characterized by international news outlets, certainly some things I've seen from news in the UK, has been to focus on the heavy-handedness of the police. But would you say it's they have been actually provoked? Um, well, a bit of both. I mean, I, I think, you know, everyone knows that riot police everywhere are, do tend to be heavy-handed. Um, and... They have, you know, the means at their disposal. They have their batons, they have rubber bullets, they have tear gas and so on. And, um, I mean, if, you know, if you keep throwing stones at the police, they will retaliate sooner or later anywhere on earth. Um, uh, which, you know, doesn't take away from the fact that there's, I mean, there's plenty of video evidence that there's been random police brutality of just picking up people just walking down the street and being beaten up or having rubber bullets shot at them. Um, but, you know, overall to say, uh, you know, we're living in a fascist state with, you know, a brutal police force, I think it's a bit, you have to be a bit more pragmatic. And if you're going to spend your evening throwing rocks at the police, then, you know, something is going to happen. Violence in Barcelona has now subsided, but demonstrations continue apace. On Sunday, October 27th, a protest led by the seemingly silent 50% of Catalans who don't want independence and to remain in a union with Spain was attended by some 80,000. It highlights the polarization gripping the Catalan question, even within the region itself as the independentistas have never actually held more than about 47% of support in the polls. So, where does this all leave us? How did these protests compare with those in 2017? And what is going to happen moving forward? Well, two years ago, what happened was was a, a, a one-off. And, the, 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 you know, there was the day of the referendum and it was mostly peaceful. And again, in what seemed to be a random way, the police attacked polling stations in various parts of Barcelona and elsewhere in Catalonia, extremely with extreme violence, uh, you know, which everyone's seen and was very damaging to the police and, and actually very useful to the Catalan cause, in effect. Um, but it was just that one, basically about two hours on the morning of the 1st of October. Whereas what we're seeing now, and there wasn't a violent response to it. I mean, the Catalans' trump card all along is that, you know, we're, we're peaceful and we can get a million people on the street and there's no trouble, no arrest, or hardly even any litter, which is impressive. And it's possible they've thrown away that trump card now. But certainly, you know, the, the past week, because the, the protagonists have been the people, not the police, uh, you know, the, the, well, you could say that, you know, you know, if you go and prevent, try to prevent an international airport from functioning, uh, what do you expect to happen? Well, probably the police will intervene. And when the police intervene, there's conflict. And when there's conflict, it escalates, etc. And the violence that's characterised these protests, do you think that's going to be fundamentally a hindrance to the cause? Well, like I said, their trump card was, you know, was pacifism. And, 
you know, I, I personally have never seen a popular movement that's managed to get so many people to mobilize so many people over a period of, uh, it's now uh, seven or eight years consistently. I mean, that's really impressive. But now, um, you know, what people see as people burning things and, and throwing things at the police and being battle charged by the police, which is nothing special. You know, I mean, you could be, you could just swap the picture captions and say this is what's happening in Ecuador or, or Santiago de Chile right now. Um, and so I think it's weakened their cause. Uh, I do understand the frustration, even though I'm not particularly sympathetic to the cause. I understand the frustration that they have mounted, a, you know, quite a, a really spectacular movement. Um, which in particular the previous government of Mariana Rajoy uh, refused to have anything to do with and simply served as a, to recruit more and more people to the cause with his very obdurate attitude. And the general mood either in Barcelona itself or at the protests, how would you characterize that compared with previous uh, protests? Well, I think the mood last week was pretty intense and scary. Um, I think now I'm not sure what's going to happen because um, you can't go on rioting every night. Um, and particularly, I mean, quite a lot of these people have jobs to go to uh, or they have um, exams to sit at university. A lot of them are students. Um, so, you know, they're not, uh, they're not free to go on unless they're going to give up their normal lives rioting every night. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult to see in a way that the, the momentum of the peaceful movement um, has been lost, perhaps not forever, but it's been lost for now. The, the sentencing of the, of, the, of the Catalan politicians was always going to be a watershed. And so now we've had that watershed, which has been violence. And the question is, now what? Um, and it seems that... Uh, you know, we have a vacuum of leadership uh, that, you know, the, the, the Catalan president actually has no idea what to do except to suggest we have yet another referendum. We've already had two. Um, and meanwhile, the Spanish government remains as uh, recalcitrant and pig-headed as ever. So moving forward, the question is then, now what? Well, I mean, now what, you know, the, I think, the Catalan independence movement, and it's, it's starting to make noises about this. Carmen Forcadé, the former Speaker of the Parliament, who is now in jail, gave an interview yesterday in which she finally, <clears throat> it's the first time I've heard any of them admit it, uh, said that we lacked empathy with the 50% of the population who don't want independence. And this has always been their weak point. When they, you know, they say Europe doesn't support us or you know, Spain is opposed to us, when you go to... You say, we want independence, and people say, well, how many of you want independence? And the answer is 47.8% of the population, and that's the highest it's ever been. Then your case is a bit weak. You know, if you can't even reach 50, um, then, then and, and so I think, and I think that Esquerra Republicana, and particularly Oriol Junqueras, who is the, the, still the president of Esquerra and is serving 13 years in prison now, they recognize that 
everything, and Artur Mas said this in an interview the other day, that they went too far too fast, that you cannot legitimately declare independence when you don't even have the backing of half the population. And nothing that they've done in the past few years has encouraged that 52% or whatever it is to come over to the, to the cause of independence. And I think if there's a way forward, rather than people just being in their trenches, and whether they're Spanish trenches or Catalan trenches, and just you know shouting at each other, if there's a way forward for the independence movement, that's what they have to do. They have to address the fact that not only 50% of the population have not joined their cause, but nearly 20% of the population weren't even born in Spain or Catalonia and have no sentimental interest, and it is a sentimental cause, because let's face it, they're not the most depressed people on earth. Okay, I think, I think that'll do. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thank you, been a pleasure. That's all for today. Big thanks to everyone involved in this week's En Profundidad, to Stephen Burgeon for his insights, which you can continue reading on the Guardian and Observer websites, to Isha Mahajan for her excellent interviews at the protests and her interview with Anthony Rahavish. Isha will be back next week for Untayat Amb and look out for her further writing on Catalan independence, which will be coming up on our site very, very soon. But until then, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next Thursday. The music is inspired, artifact and lightless dawn, all by Kevin MacLeod and licensed by Creative Commons 3.0.